You are listening to New Life the Fort. We pray that this season you take possession of every good gift God has prepared for you. I'm excited. I don't know about you, but I have an expectation in my heart, which is good because coming in here earlier, it's like, Lord, I just know that He has something in store for you. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand on up as we read the word. You know, this is a culture that we are encouraging in New Life the Ford. Is the reason that we stand for the word is because we put honor. We give honor to the word. If Jesus himself showed up and he was about to speak to you, I guarantee you, the king, as the king of kings and lord of lords showed up, you are going to want to stand up to hear what he has to say. And as we read the word, it's as if he is speaking. Amen. So Romans 12, 1 to 2, in the message paraphrase, it says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. Does that sound like any life here? Is this what you do on a daily basis? You sleep? Only some? That's really sad. The word says that God gives his beloved sleep. So you should be sleeping. How many of you are eating? More people. Such an excitement. How many of you are are going to work? Yes. You know what? Praise God that you have the grace to go to work. You have the strength to work and you are excellent in your workplace. Amen. And then it just goes on to say walking around life. The things that you don't really think about. You're just walking around, doing your own thing, looking around. That's just us. And it seems so ordinary, but it's not insignificant. Because what does it say next? It says, and place it before God as an offering. Everything that you do, all that you are, you lay that at the feet of Jesus as an offering. Then it says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, say culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Father, my prayer for this afternoon is that as we hear your word today, as what is released out of my mouth will bring such a transformation in the heart of every hearer, that as you have spoken, that there is a change from the inside out, that is what is going to happen here. There is a further establishing. There is a strengthening. There is an encouraging. There is a building up on the inside so that when we begin to do the things that seem so ordinary, You come in and do the extraordinary. So we just thank you that in this place, you are speaking, you are moving, you are writing upon our heart, you are healing, you are demonstrating, you are manifesting to each and every person who can hear, who can see, who has a heart to understand. You are just pouring out your love in this place. And so we honor you today. And we look forward to what you are going to be speaking in Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen and amen. Now, before you sit down, I love it. People are now ready. People are not getting ready to sit down because they're like, Pastor Mitch is up there. That's right. So I want you to fist bump five people and then give two people a hug. So go ahead and do it. Fist bump five people and give two people a hug. Come on, get out of your seats. Don't be comfortable where you're at. And when you're fist bumping, don't look at the fist. Look at the face. Enjoy the smile. And once you're done with the five fist bumps and the two hugs, go ahead and be seated. I love it. You know what it's doing? It's breaking the ice. It's getting you ready to receive. Because really, before you can receive the word, your heart has to be ready. And sometimes we just need to stir things up by being a little fun. Because you know when you come to church, it's serious. It's very serious. And because it's so serious, you need to be alert. But that's why five fist bumps and, a hu and two hugs is great. Now people are like, why? It's like five loaves and two fish. God multiplies it, right? Ah, yeah. That just came to me now. Praise God. But what I want to talk to you about is cross-culture. The last two weeks, we've been having a Jesus Festival feast. And for Pastor Alvin and myself, we weren't done with Jesus Festival yet because we just felt that there was something about cross-culture. Now, if you attended Jesus Festival, how many of you attended Jesus Festival? No condemnation if you didn't. That's okay because you're going to hear part of it today. The last two weeks, you got to hear from all these wonderful speakers. But you get to hear from us today. Well, I speak us, although Pastor Alvin is in a meeting right now. He is with me in spirit. But cross-culture. We were just reading in Romans 12, 1 to 2, about a culture. A culture that pushes you down. A culture that is dragging you. A culture that does not edify or build you up, but tries to conform you, limit you, bind you, make you a slave to it. That's this culture, and it is culture in the world. If you, read this if you read this verse in another translation, it says, do not be conformed to the world or do not copy the customs and behavior of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because as your mind is renewed, you begin to value things differently. As your mind is renewed, your belief system begins to change. Your attitude begins to change to towards things. The things that you begin to express now come out of a new dimension, a new realm of believing and seeing and walking in. But it is a, it is a place, a realm, a culture of the cross. Because that's what our minds are being renewed to, the cross. What happened at the cross? We were singing about this wondrous cross. Now, crucifixions happened quite a bit in that day and age. But what was so special about this particular cross? Our Jesus was on that cross. The reason that that cross is so wonderful, so glorious, is because our Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. He, he pretty much stayed on that cross because of his love towards us. When he really could have said, you know what? I'm tired of this. Father, I'm coming down. And 12 legions of angels would have come. But he stayed there because he loved you and me. 
and that what he was going to release through his death and his resurrection was going to completely change and transform you forever. He was going to bring you out of darkness into light. He was going to bring you out of death into life. He was going to bring you out of sickness and disease into health and wholeness. He was going to bring you out of brokenness into being complete. Those are just some of the things that this cross, this wonderful cross did for us. Now, the cross is a symbol for us. It symbolizes Jesus' sacrifice. Because when you see the cross, you're not just seeing the crucifixion. You are seeing the, our Jesus who hung there. But you also know that the cross is empty because he did not stay there. He was buried in a tomb, but on the third day, he rose again into life. That's what we're going to be celebrating next week, Resurrection Sunday. Not Easter Sunday, but Resurrection Sunday. Because what happened over 2,000 years ago was our Jesus who was dead, being raised to life by the power of God and is alive forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing as he's seated there? He is waiting, the Bible says, until his enemies have been made his footstool. And when will that happen? When the sons of God begin to know who they are and they begin to take their place. And they begin to rule in authority and power because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that was released to everyone who believes. So we are not meant to be conformed. Do you know what happens when you're conformed? You begin to, it's, I'll give you a picture. Do you know the, the Chinese used to have a thing that they would do is that because they like small feet, they would wrap children's feet after a certain age wrap them very tightly and then put them in an iron shoe so that as a child grew it would be very limited to that shoe i mean i can t i actually studied this and it was a, it was a little horrifying because after a while of course they can't walk so they would break the foot so that it could fit into that small space again because your foot will heal but they continued to break it and break it and break it until it could no longer grow. And it was conformed to that shoe. See, being conformed to the world will lead to deformity. What the world looks at as beautiful is deformed. And it gives you a picture that's warped. Oh, that this is how it's supposed to be. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. You were not meant to be trapped and bound and limited. You were not meant to be conformed to the image of the world by what they say is the reality. The Bible says that we are meant to be conformed to the image of Christ. But pastor, you just said that leads to deformity. Do you know how big Jesus is? All of us can reach our full potential in Christ and still there would be room. There is freedom in allowing yourself to be transformed into his likeness. The more that you see him through the word, the more you begin to grow. That's what it says here. 
it talked about maturity. When you talk about maturity, you're growing. You're growing into something. Well-formed maturity. See, children are meant to grow up. They're not meant to stay children. When a baby is born, it's actually abnormal if the child stops growing. It's abnormal for us if we stop growing. It's abnormal for us if we stop maturing. Because the Bible says that we are not meant to be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine or whatever catches our fancy. We're not to be going here and there and everywhere trying to find something. No, we are to fix our attention on Christ. Fix our attention on Christ. Because when we fix our attention on him, we will be stable. We will be secure. We will be immovable. We will be unshakable when we focus our attention on him. And if, you, and if you actually are able to stay, you'll find your roots growing down deep. And the deeper your roots go, the more nutrients that it can take. The more nutrients it can take, the more that it can grow out and begin to express the fullness of what it is meant to be. And as it is, begins to uh, present and express that fullness, what happens? It becomes fruitful. Fruitful. And as it becomes fruitful and it bears fruit, then others now can partake of that goodness that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we are not meant to be immature believers. We're not meant to just drink milk all the days of our life. We're meant to eat steak. Amen. How many of you would like to have steak? Only a few people. That's okay. How many of you would like to have a buffet? Better, because you have choices. But if you're a baby, all you can drink is milk. But God wants us to grow up so that we can eat of the full buffet that he has presented before us and invite others to do the same. That they don't have to stay babies and drink milk all the days of their life. They can, be, they can begin to partake of solid food. And if it's solid, that solid food causes you to begin to grow into the full stature of Christ. Because what is that solid food? It is the word of righteousness. That word of righteousness that causes us to be further established and to grow. The Bible says to be perfected, but it actually means to be matured, to be matured. And we are maturing in our knowledge of who we are in Christ. How? By keeping our eyes on him. On keeping our eyes on him. And so we're not meant to be stuck in the culture of the world. Now, what is a culture? A culture is a way of life. It's a way of life of a particular group of people. It is our belief system. It is the characteristics, the knowledge, the belief system, the values, the attitudes, the practices that this one group shares. It can be summed up this way or defined by the language, the religion, the cuisine, the education, the social habits, the music, and the arts that are passed on from generation to generation. That's culture. You and I were born into culture. How many of you are Filipino? It's okay. It's not a bad thing. People are like, I'm not sure. But if you are of a different uh, nationality, that's okay. 
I'm just going to use Filipino because majority of us are Filipino. Now, we're born into a culture that's, that's Filipino. How many of you like adobo? How many of you like sinigang? How many of you will eat bagoong with green mango? Woo! You like this sermon? I'm glad. I hope you're getting stirred up and hungry for more of Jesus. How many of you like bagoong with hot rice and butter? People are like, I love that. When I, was gro- when I was growing up, my grandmother used to do that. When we'd eat sinigang, she would set aside hot steaming rice, put butter on it, and bagoong. I loved it. I still do. I don't eat it often, although it may look like I eat it all the time. But it's not, that's not the case. How many of you, as Filipino, have a tabo at home? Tabo! Now, it's true... Almost every Filipino home has a tabo. And not just a tabo, but a little bucket that goes with the tabo. And you normally find it in your shower. Now, I was talking to Pastor Jay Mansbridge. And this is when Pastor Paul was, was sharing, you know, with what are some of the cultural things that he learned that's very Filipino. And I go, yeah, there's a tabo, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, so that's what that is. She goes, what do you do with it? I said, everything. And she goes, okay. I go, you take a bath with it. You wash with it. You even wash your dishes with it. You can do whatever you want with it. And she's just like, okay. But it's true. You go to a place, in the, if you go to the States, into a Filipino home, they will have a tabo and a bucket. I don't know why that is, but they do. How many of you know this? Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Yes? But it's the same action. For some strange reason, you have to put both hands out and you have to bend at a certain angle and you go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Everywhere you go. But for some strange reason, it's not like, excuse me, and you just walk by. It's just everybody, excuse me, excuse me. You know it's Filipino. How many of you answer to, You hear it, you automatically turn around. Or, hoy. Everybody turns. You know when a Filipino is present. You just sense it. You know, it was weird. I know I don't look Filipino, but I am. Very much so. So we were, I was uh, waitressing in a restaurant in the States. And uh, uh, two Filipinos came in. And I knew they were Filipino, but I didn't say anything to them. And as I was serving them, they turned to me and they go, Are you Filipino? And I go, Yeah, how'd you know? I said, I knew you guys were, but how do you know I was? They go, you look like it. I go, me? And they go, yeah. I go, okay, I think you've lived here too long. Because I'm pretty sure I don't look Filipino. But as we started talking, there's just this instant connection with Filipinos. I don't know why that is. You know, they just, you just gravitate towards one another. Now, I don't do it here often, but even when I, when, Pastor Alvin and I have gone abroad, and I don't want anybody to understand. I'll find myself speaking in Tagalog. It is true. I know it's hard to believe, but it is true. No sample. The anointing is not on me. But there's something about a common language and an affinity that you share with someone, that they understand your values. They know where you're coming from. They understand your belief system, that you know that as you believe things together, you're going to move in the same direction. Now, culture can be something that is so unifying 
that everybody comes under one place, going towards one direction, and things can be wonderful. But culture can also be very divisive. Because you do things a certain way, even if we live in the same nation. But I don't believe the things that you believe. There can be a war that is waged between the two. And a war to the point that people want to wipe out the other side. Now, even in the Philippines, we have so many different dialects and different tribes. We have different um, provinces. And within those different provinces, there are already so many differences in our culture. Things change. But we still have a love for our nation. We believe in our nation. We believe in one another. And that's what's amazing about culture. But you see, natural culture is very limiting because it can only take you so far. Jesus came to show us a different way of living. Jesus came to show us a completely different culture. He came to show us the culture of the kingdom. That's when he came here, he knew that he wasn't just going to be dying on the cross. He came to show us the kingdom. Introduce us to the king who was his father and who would be our father. That we weren't going to just be servants in the kingdom, that, what, that we would become sons and daughters in the kingdom. So he came to show us this new way of doing things, a new way of being. Yet, even when he was here, though, though the Roman culture was the prevailing culture of the time, and he also lived within a Jewish culture. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. When he was presented before Pilate and Pilate asked him if he was a king, this is his reply. In John 18, 36, it says, my kingdom is not of this world. So yes, to answer your question, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. Of course, I'm pretty sure that went over Pilate's head. Because that didn't make any sense to him. Then he goes, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I, could, I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not from here. But he came to show us the kingdom ways. Everywhere Jesus went, he actually did and lived in the Jewish setting, the Jewish culture perfectly. He lived under the law. He was born under the law. And yet the Bible records that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. We know that he fulfilled it at the cross because he said, it is finished. The law did not hold him. In fact, he brought the law to a higher standard, to its original standard when he walked on the earth. He said, this is the kingdom standard. That if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes and you have those thoughts, you've already committed adultery. He said, if, you, if you're angry at your brother and you hate your brother, you've already murdered him. So he brought the law to its original standard. And yet the Bible says that he fulfilled every single one. But his culture was so different that it drew all the rejects, all the outcasts, 
all the ones that the, that culture at that time despised and put away, it drew them to him because they sensed there was something different about him. That what he was speaking and what he was doing was a totally different way that they've never seen before. I mean, you look at all the people that came to him and really the kingdom culture superseded that of the natural one. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. By cultural standards at that time, she was not allowed to leave her house. And if she did, she'd have to yell, unclean, unclean. I mean, I don't know about you, but if for a woman, if you have your period and you have to yell, unclean, unclean, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, women have a hard time if they get a stain on their pants, but to yell and tell everybody, by the way, it's the time of the month. It's rather embarrassing, somewhat shameful. But this woman was bleeding for 12 years, 12 years. She couldn't leave her house. The Bible says she spent everything she had on doctors trying to find a cure. But she heard about Jesus. And really, she said, forget culture. I heard about this man who was healing people. And if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be healed. And so saying, forget this culture, she left her home and she made her way towards Jesus through the crowd. I mean, the Bible records the, that Jesus was thronged with people. I mean, this is like wall-to-wall -wall people. I mean, if you've seen the concerts that go on here, you see people all the way around on every floor. Imagine Jesus. He was a rock star in his time. And he had people surrounding him. I mean, when the woman touched the hem of his garment, he felt power leave his body. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him like, hello, look at the people around you. Anyone could have touched you. But he knew that there was a touch of faith. See, the culture of the kingdom has faith. Faith. Faith that will move mountains. Faith that will look at your natural circumstance and say, I am not going to be limited by, by this anymore. I am going to reach out and touch the only one who can make me well. I am not going to allow culture to dictate what's going to happen to me. And she received her healing. She felt the blood stop. And then when, Je when she was confronted to, with Jesus, Jesus simply said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And when you look at that word well, it means to have been made whole, complete, nothing missing and nothing broken. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus didn't just stop with her, with her physical healing. He healed her of the shame she had felt for 12 years. And I believe that even the money that she lost was going to come back to her. Because when Jesus restores, he restores completely. There was a demoniac. Jesus crossed to the other side because he was going to encounter a demoniac. The demoniac had been cast out of his town because he didn't fit the mold of everybody there. He was out of his mind. He was naked, running around. They chained him in a cemetery. But Jesus came, found him, and cast the demon out of him. 
And when he cast the demon out of him, he cast the, de- the demon into pigs. And the swine literally leaped off a cliff and drowned. Somebody went, and, uh, somebody went and told the town, and the town came running to see this. You know they weren't even happy that the man was in his right mind. How crazy is the world? They can't even be happy for the man who had been out of his mind for so long, who wasn't just hurting himself but hurting other people, and yet they come and tell Jesus, leave, because the pigs went off the cliff. I mean, when they showed up, the man was sitting with Jesus in his right mind, fully clothed. I mean, maybe they didn't even recognize him. Maybe they didn't even know who he was. But Jesus didn't care what they thought. And then when the man wanted to follow him, Jesus said, you know what? No, go and tell your family what's happened. The Bible doesn't even record how long he had been away from his family. It doesn't say how long they had kept him in in the cemetery. It doesn't say. But he said, go tell your family. And the man went to Decapolis, which is 10 cities, and shared with them what Jesus did for him. When everybody cast him out, when everyone counted him out, Jesus didn't. You also have the woman at the well, which we, some of us heard about last week. The woman at the well. Jesus defied culture by going into Samaria, by sitting at a well and having a conversation with a woman, with a Samaritan who happened to be a woman. Even she said that. She said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan and a woman at that. But Jesus didn't care. Because he was on a mission. He was, an on, he was on a mission for the woman. To change what people had said about her. Imagine all the nasty things people probably had said about her. Why do I say that? Because she went to the, the well at around 12 o'clock noon. Do you know how hot that is? Most people would go early in the day to get the water. But she was there alone. We know that she had five husbands. The one that she was living with at that, at that point in time, the sixth, wasn't, she didn't even marry, wasn't even married. She wasn't married to. So I'm pre- pretty sure she had a reputation. So imagine what people thought about her, what they said about her based on culture. What they believed, what they valued. But here comes Jesus. and changes her mind. And shows her love like she's never seen love before. And she runs back into the city and says, Come and see the man who has told me everything about my life. Now, think about this. The people didn't have to listen to her because they already had a preconceived notion about her. But they had seen something different about her. It wasn't just the words she spoke. It was the whole way she presented herself. And they went to hear Jesus. And later on, you actually, it is written there. It says that we didn't, believe, we didn't just believe because she said it. We believe now because we've heard for ourselves. What happened? Culture shift. Or really, Jesus was counter earthly culture. 
earthly culture. Another thing, culture at the time. If you were a leper, you were outcast. You could not be within the city. You had to be outside. Most of the time, you had leper colonies because really that was the only interaction they would ever get because no one wanted to be near them. They were unclean as unclean could be. In fact, more people believed that they were cursed. So if you happen to be around them and if you happen to touch one, then you would be cursed and you would become unclean. But Jesus encounters a leper. And, and a leper asked Jesus, if you're willing, make me well. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And lays his hands on the leper. Touches him. We don't know how long the leper had been without human touch. We have no idea. But I can only imagine what that touch meant to him. Because the unclean became clean at that very moment. That the kingdom of God superseded that of an earthly kingdom. An earthly reality. And the man was made whole. There was, another, there was another leper. In fact, there were ten of them. And Jesus heals all ten. Nine go, but one comes back to worship Jesus. And Jesus says, there were ten of you. What happened to the other nine? But then he tells this leper, your faith has made you whole. He didn't say your faith has made you well because Jesus had already made him well. But he said, because you believe so much in me, you have been made whole. Do you know what happens when you have leprosy? Things begin to fall off. You can have your nose completely fall off your face. You can have your ears fall off, your fingers fall off. Leprosy eats at your physical body. But it also eats at your soul because no one wants to be near you. But at that moment when Jesus released those words, this is what I believe with my heart. Because there are no coincidences when you see whole. When you think whole, he's whole. I believe a miracle happened at that moment. That whatever had fallen off, whatever was disconnected, all of a sudden there was a, a, a miracle, a creative miracle that things began to grow back. Because when you're whole, you're whole. And something also happened in his heart. The shame, the loneliness, all of a sudden there was peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus came to change that culture. He came to be different from everything else that the people had known. Now, there are people groups that try to be different. They fight to be different. But really, at the end of the day, they're all the same. Because the only thing that will set you apart is Jesus. The only person that can set you apart from being like everyone else in the world is Jesus. So when Jesus came, Jesus did three to four things when he was revealing the kingdom. The first one is this. Jesus declared the kingdom. He declared the kingdom. In Luke 4, very familiar scripture, Luke 4. Luke 4, 
17 to 19 says, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then it says he closed the book and verse 21 says, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He begins to declare, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. The good news is preached to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. What else happens? The brokenhearted are healed. The captives are released. They're set free. That God's favor, the acceptable year of the Lord is now. You're not on cursed ground. He begins to declare that this is what the kingdom looks like. But you see, Jesus didn't just stop with, de with a declaration. Every declaration, everything that he spoke always came with a demonstration. A demonstration of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, 23 to 24, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And he healed them. He went about preaching and teaching, but he didn't just stop with the preaching and the teaching. He needed to demonstrate. Why did he have to demonstrate? Because the kingdom of God has demonstration. The kingdom of God is founded on love. And love is not just spoken. Love is experienced. Love is demonstrated. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that was the demonstration of God's glorious love for us. That while we were of no use to him whatsoever, Jesus still came anyway to die. When we didn't even realize we needed him, he still came and he died. Because he wanted us to be set free. Everyone who believes in the Son is going to be freed. And so with, the, with this declaration and this demonstration, in Acts 10, 38, it says this about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. See, you have the word, but you come with power. I mean, Paul said this. That I don't come with persuasive words, excuse me, of human wisdom, but I come with a demonstration of power. That the words that he was speaking carry power, transformative power.
power that as they go forth and someone grabs hold of it, then it will be whatever is in those words will be released into that person and change can happen and change will happen for those who believe. So it goes on to say how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing some who were oppressed. Are you sure? Does it say it there? Jesus healed all who were oppressed of the devil. He didn't say, well, you all heal, you I won't. You healed, you healed. Nope. You healed, you healed. No, he healed all who were oppressed of the devil, by the devil. For God was with him. For God was with him. I love how Jesus demonstrates. You know, it, it's one thing to say, I love you. But it's another to experience someone who loves you. You know, I don't know if you know love languages, but love languages, you have words of affirmation. People like gifts. People like acts of service. People like quality time. Some people like touch. But see, of those five, there's only one that's words. The rest involve an action. And most people want both the words and the action. How many married people here? It's okay. It's not a sin to be married. Now, for the married people, would you be happy if your spouse just told you how much they loved you and they didn't do anything for you or did anything about it? Because I love you. That's it. No hugs, no kisses, no gifts, no acts of service, nothing. Just I love you. Would you be happy? No. Most of the time, those, if it would, there, there would be a fight. There would be some sort of fight because you don't love me. Now, that would be the women. I don't know. Maybe some men are like that. But you don't love me. You say you do, but you don't love me. I do love you. You don't hug me. That's really sad. Husbands, hug your wives. Because my husband's not here. I will tell him later. Husband, hug me. But we want expression. We want demonstration. The word is good, but we want what we hear to come alive. We want it to do something. We want it to explode on the inside of us. That's when we know it's alive. When all of a sudden, when you hear that word, something blooms on the inside of you and you begin to get excited and expectant that God has heard you and God is going to do something. He's on the move. More demonstration. In Luke 9, 10 to 11, it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And healed those who had need of healing. I love that. But you hear always about healing. The great thing about this story is that if you continue to read the verses afterwards, it talks about the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus didn't just heal those that were sick 
are diseased. Jesus also demonstrated what the kingdom was like in terms of provision. When it doesn't look like there's anything, when you don't have anything at all or barely enough, you put it in Jesus' hands and it can be multiplied. Because the feeding of the 5,000, what happened with the feeding of the 5,000? 5,000 men only, let's just say. But if you add women and children, and you know that there were children there, because what was given was the five loaves and two fish from a little boy. So let's say there were 15,000 people in this place, and they were all hungry. And Jesus tells his disciples, feed them. Excuse me, do I look like a multimillionaire? Do I look like I have a restaurant? That would probably be me. But they said, Jesus, we don't have enough to feed them. And there's no place here for food. And then one of the disciples has a bright idea. Oh, look, there's a little boy. And he has five loaves and two fish. But what's that with all the people that are here? How's that going to feed everybody? So what does Jesus do? He tells them, sit down. Have them all sit down. Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it and he gives thanks. And then he begins to distribute to the disciples. And then he tells them, you go and give the bread out. So you have Jesus declaring the word or the kingdom. You have Jesus demonstrating the kingdom. But you also now begin to see Jesus delegating and dispensing kingdom authority and rule to his disciples. I break the bread. You now distribute. You go and do the work. Now, I was thinking about this when I was sharing this earlier. And I thought, wait a minute. Jesus broke the bread only once. And he gave it to the disciples. The miracles happened in the hands of the disciples. Most of the time we're like, the miracle happened in the hand of Jesus. Oh, no, Jesus orchestrated it. But the miracles happen in the hands of the disciples because Jesus is working through them. It's the same with us. The Bible declares that we are Jesus' body. The church is his body. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth. We act on his behalf. Why? So that everybody can see him. They don't look at how good looking the hand looks or how pretty the feet are. But they look at the person as a whole and the person as a whole looks like Jesus. So when Jesus began to delegate this authority and this rule to the disciples, there are even scriptures that say that Jesus sent out 70 disciples. And they came back with a great report. In fact, they were so happy. They were able to heal the sick and the demons had to flee when they were, when they were cast out in Jesus' name. But Jesus told them, don't rejoice because the demons obey you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. But you see, there is something about the church beginning to operate in the kingdom realities. In kingdom culture, we are meant to stand out. We are meant to be different. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people. 
In fact, let's look at that. First Peter. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests. We are a holy nation. We are set apart. We are his own special people, a chosen generation. Because we begin to be able to showcase who he is. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The kingdom that we display is him. He is the one who puts the kingdom within. He is the one who will demonstrate the kingdom on the outside. Because his culture is what we are steeped in. You know, if you think about it, we actually live in two places. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. But we're also found in heaven, in the spirit, because we are now citizens of heaven. Not just citizens of heaven, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I mean, to a certain degree, we straddle both realms. But the Bible tells us this, that the, the prevailing place that we live in is heaven. We live in the spirit. We are led by the spirit. That doesn't mean you're like all spooky and flaky. No, you're stable, you're secure. That's exactly why the world gets drawn to you. Because you are not moved when they're moved. When everything's falling apart, you still have a hope. You still have a smile on your face. You still have joy on the inside. When you're like, what's going on? And you're like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I know who holds me in his hands. Let me introduce you to him. The prevailing culture in which we live is the kingdom. We listen to our king. We just don't listen to anyone. We don't receive instructions from servants and slaves. We can hear directly from the king himself, who is our father. Because Jesus made that way for us. This is the amazing thing. Is that, you know, when Jesus was born, he was born at a specific time. The Bible says in Galatians, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. The fullness of time. And if you read that word time, it is actually a specific time period. It's chronos. It means it is locked in time. It's not like there's no time at all. No, no, no. A specific time frame, Jesus came. Now, when was that time frame? Jesus came when the Romans ruled. Now, it's interesting because there were many kingdoms before Rome. But the way they would, co- they would conquer a land is that they would take everybody out of the land and bring them back to their native country where they would be immersed in the culture over there. 
But the Romans actually took what the Greeks were doing and modified it even further. That when the Romans would come, they would take over an entire town or city and make that city just like Rome. No one would have to leave. No one would have to go anywhere. But Rome would send emissaries. They would send teachers. They would send scholars. They would send religious leaders. They would, t- they would send artists into the city so that they would begin to teach the culture of Rome to every citizen. Immersing that entire town in Roman culture. Now, why is that so important? It's important to us because Jesus was born at that time because that's exactly how our kingdom operates. Our kingdom operates the same way. Pastor, what do you mean? See, since you and I have Jesus on the inside, everywhere we go, we bring his presence. Everywhere we go, we bring his culture. We don't have to bring people with us into a particular place so that they can receive. No, where we are, he is. See, we become ambassadors. I mean, we talked about this when we were talking about righteousness, how we've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you continue to read that in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about how we have been, we've been made ambassadors, ambassadors of reconciliation, Calling people back to Christ. Come back to Christ. Come back to the Father. There's, he's not mad at you. He has open arms. He's welcoming you home. We're ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents a nation. An ambassador comes into another nation and represents his home nation. And wherever the ambassador resides or lives becomes the soil or the state property of the nation he represents. And wherever the ambassador works, which is in an embassy, that becomes the same soil as the nation he represents. Same culture, same kingdom. That's why... Like if you step into the U.S. embassy or if you step into the Singaporean embassy or if you step into the Korean embassies here in the Philippines, the moment you step foot into those, into those properties, you are now stepping on, say, Korean soil or Singaporean soil, even if they are in this nation. Do you know that everywhere the sole of your foot treads upon, as an ambassador is property of the kingdom of heaven. You and I are meant to enforce kingdom culture. We are meant to enforce cross culture. People should be able to run to you and step into a whole new reality in Christ. I don't know if you've ever watched war movies, but in a lot of war movies, you have people running to get into an embassy. Because the moment they cross over into that, into that embassy, onto that soil, they know now whatever is happening on the outside cannot touch them. They are safe. They are protected. Because they are no longer on foreign soil. 
their home. We have the same ability when people come and they run to us. We have an opportunity to just let people know, you know what? You can cross over from death into life. You can cross over from darkness into light. You can cross over from sickness and disease into health and wholeness. You can cross over from brokenness into being complete. You can cross over and all it takes is you just believing in the one who went to the cross. The one who brought down heaven's culture. See, that's the amazing thing. We don't have to strive to bring heaven down. Heaven came down. Heaven came down. And when heaven came down, heaven completely changed the atmosphere, the culture around. And when I say heaven, I mean Jesus, because heaven is not complete without Jesus. It's like the cross isn't complete without Jesus. Cross culture. Not just us crossing into another culture, but us bringing the culture of the cross to wherever we're working, to wherever we're going to school, into our homes. Bringing that culture into that place and allowing heaven to be released. And where heaven is, Jesus is. And where Jesus is, darkness cannot stand. Where Jesus is, there is everything you need and more. That's the culture that you and I have in Christ. It is a culture that will supersede, far exceed anything that the world can ever offer or dictate to you. See, this is the thing about the culture of the cross. God doesn't dictate. He still gives you a choice. But he tells you, this is the answer. Go this way. This is the right way. And you just simply say, yes, Lord, I'll obey. It's my response to all that you've done how you loved me so well. Amen? Did you receive something this afternoon? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Father. You know, for some of you, you've been coming, you've been hearing the word week after week. For some of you, you've just stepped in today. But something's been stirring in your heart. And you've just been saying, I don't want to be a part of what's going on anymore in the world. I'm tired of this dead-end life that I seem to have. Well, you've come to the right place because Jesus is here. And he's just saying, come to me. Come to me. I'm the only one that can give you the rest that you're looking for. I'm the only one that can transform your life. I'm the only one that can cleanse you. I'm the only one that can heal you. And I want to. I'm not just able, I want to. So if you've never received Jesus into your heart, today's a great day to do it. And I'm going to count to three. 
And when I hit three, I want you to raise your hand because this, you raising your hand is you simply acknowledging that you have a need for Jesus and Jesus is going to come right on in and your life will never be the same. It will be better. One, Jesus loves you unconditionally. He loves you personally. Thank you for your hands. Two, the Father made it so simple. You didn't have to look far. You don't have to call out to so many people. You just call on the name of Jesus, and he is right there with you. Three, you just raise your hand because you know you need him. Thank you for your hands. This is about you and him, a relationship with you and him. Not about the person beside you, but just you and him. You may be downstairs in the fourth floor, and you're raising your hand. Thank you. It takes courage to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to put it down, and we're going to pray together. All of us together in the congregation are going to pray along with you. So repeat this after me. Jesus, I thank you that you willingly laid down your life. You died on the cross, took my sin and shame, and nailed it to that cross forever. Today, because I know that you are alive and you love me, I receive you into my heart and I know from this day forward I am forever changed. Holy Spirit, help me to understand who I have been made to be in Christ. I thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit us at newlifethefort.com.